0: Hi everyone, this is Ingrid with my Southwest Florida Gente, the bilingual podcast that features the stories of the people who live, work, and visit Southwest Florida. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Loxley Nims. He's originally from Jamaica and has lived more than 20 years in Southwest Florida. Loxley is the lead academic advisor for Team natural science at Florida Gulf Coast University. Dr. Nibbs describes how he likes to help students when they come to college not knowing what they want to study, help them figure out what classes to take during the first year and help them decide for a major, and later see them walk at graduation. He enjoys the satisfaction of seeing them receive their diplomas in the company of their families. He explained that, in essence, he helps students build a pathway from matriculation to graduation. Most students are very shy when they come to college, especially minority students who are Black or Latinx, who do not know how to navigate the system. Many of them are first-generation college students who are the first in their families to attend college. Many minority students at Florida Gulf Coast University look for Luxley to talk with him because they can identify themselves with him and feel more comfortable talking with him. Loxley also talked about how one of his favorite activities is to cook for his family. And how he learned his cooking skills when he was a young boy growing up in Jamaica. He also described how on Sundays he prepares a special dinner for his family. He explained how he starts the day running errands in the morning to get all the ingredients to prepare all the different dishes that make Sunday family dinner. At the end of the episode, Luxley described his own journey through higher education and shared a special message to students who may be struggling feeling at home at college. Hi, how is everyone today? So today, I'm very happy to have Dr. Lux Nick who is my friend from FGCU, who has agreed to have an interview with us for the listeners to know more about him and his experience in Southwest Florida. So could you tell us a little bit about you? All
1: right. Hello, Ingrid. This is a good venture, and I'm happy that I'm a part of this. So thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. Of course, as you mentioned, my name is Lux Nibs. I just completed my doctorate in education with a concentration in higher education administration that happened on March 12, 2020 after a little bit of time, probably about five years in the sense that it actually took me to complete. I'm an employee at Florida Gulf Coast University. I am the lead academic advisor for Team Natural Sciences within the College of Arts and Sciences. I've been working at FGCU from 2006 so I'm going into what's called my 15th year when I enter in the fall semester. Could
0: you tell us a little bit more about where are you from uh, like about your family
1: <laughs> all right so where am i from you must have heard my accent and trying i'm sure your listeners are trying to decipher what's where's the accent from Originally, I'm from the island of Jamaica. I um, migrated from Jamaica in 1999. My family has lived here in Southwest Florida since 1987, so I came to join them in 1999. I am married. I have a wife, and I have two kids. I'm a family man, as you can see, so I wear many hats. In reference to my duty, I'm an academic advisor during the day. I'm a teacher after hours because I teach at FGCU as well. I come home. I'm a dad. I'm a husband, and I'm a family person
0: are your children?
1: Oh so my children um, they're very far apart in terms of age so my daughter and my daughter is 22 and my son is 8 years old Do
0: you have
1: any pets? We have two fish <laughs> that's as far as we go as pet. pets are very high maintenance and we don't want we want to have that comfort when we leave our homes and we don't have to worry about a pet being locked up after hours or so so we have two fish they're pretty much the beta fish and take care of them We, um they're my son's fish that were given to him for his birthday and we do a good job between me my daughter and my son in trying to make sure that they both stay alive
0: I used to have better fish I used to have like puddles with different colors
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're beautiful the ones that we have so we try our best to make sure that they're they're fed, waters change and everything and the temperature in the water is pretty much decent for them so a very not high maintenance as those who have pets uh, such as cats or dogs and stuff uh, the fish that's fine we can go and leave them and come back without have to worry about.
0: Something fun about the better fish that, that I used to do with mine is I will like bring a like a small mirror and like close to the put
1: uh, it to the, the tank.
0: And then we'll <laughs> they can see and... themselves. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, we heard about that, and, and I've heard about it. I have colleagues at Prodigal Coast University who has them and tell me about that as well. I just haven't gotten too much into doing that. I think I did like probably twice, but I haven't gotten much into doing that. I probably should try that a few on a few occasions to see what happens because <laughs> I hear that can be pretty fun and intimidating for them.
0: Yes, they, they are fun to have like, and to see the, their beautiful colors.
1: Nice, very nice. So
0: could you tell us a little bit more about your Southwest Florida experience? For example, how long have you lived in Southwest Florida?
1: So I actually came from Jamaica, as I mentioned, in 1999. So I've been here since that time. So this is my 21st year in Southwest Florida. When I first came here, what we have today, how in terms of preparing how the area looks, it was never like that. <laughs> it was just plain. Boring. It was not a lot of folks living here and it wasn't populated, so densely populated as it is right now. A few persons. Traffic was never an issue when you get here. It, it was not there, there was no traffic. Overpass, no, there was none of those at all. We just had straight roads and just no overpass or anything. But as time goes on, the here becomes becoming a little bit more populated, traffic start, places start changing in terms of appearances, more housing projects are becoming more available and the population start to thicken there. So it's quite a uh, uh, transformation this year has gone through comparing to when I first came here in 1999 to what it is right now in terms of development and infrastructures.
0: Thank you for sharing that experience and uh, giving us a perspective of how much Southwest Florida has grown. What do you like the most about Southwest Florida?
1: I have to say, it's the weather. When I first left Jamaica, and I came here in 1999. It was the weather here was what it was a little cold when I first came here because I'm coming from a tropical island, and I actually came here into what I call winter. So it was kind of cool in the mornings when you get up. Most times it was always fog. Fog would not burn off until about 10:30, and then the sun came shining through. In the evenings it gets gets a little cool, but over time I realized that that's not what compared comparing to back then when I first moved here, the weather has really, really changed. Like now it's really, really hot in the summer. That breeze and that wind that used to feel like in the evening, it's hardly there anymore at fog because of the population back then. It wasn't as dense as it is. It's not there anymore. You get up in the morning, the sun is shining through. So it's pretty hot and humid. When I came here first, that was not not the case. It was entirely different. So over time with that population and that growth, we, we've gone through that tremendous growth in terms of population. That has changed things tremendously. One of the things that um interests me when I first got here was it would always rain in the hot like around about 10.30 and then as soon as about 12, 1, the rain would come down in torrents. That has changed because I haven't seen kind of weather change and condition happened over time. Only in the summer. In the summer, you start off hot and then in the afternoon, you get those afternoon showers. That that kind of stayed pretty much the same in comparison to when I first came here. But the winter, the spring, that has changed entirely for us.
0: What do you like the most about your work at FGCU? There's
1: a lot of things that I like about my work. One of the major things that I do like about my work is that I get to craft young students, their mind, their pathway towards getting a degree. I'm the person who helps them to find that pathway and help them create a plan, create a guide to help them to graduate on time. And the most that you ask, what's the most part I like about my job? I like the part where I meet a student for the first time who has no idea what they want to do. I'm the person they consult with, who helped to shape them or into deciding on, a particular major, help them move toward that major in terms of coursework, what they need to do, and on graduation day just to see them walk across that stage and collect their diploma and their family. That is what I think what brings me the most comfort in terms of what I do with my job, so in essence I like to create pathway from students who matriculate to FTCU, so I like to help them from matriculation to graduation.
0: That's very rewarding to see the students from the beginning to the end of their college. And,
1: and it is such a tremendous change in terms of when you first meet them because when you first meet them, they're a little shy. They don't want to talk. And then when you're actually working with them and it's coming to that point where you have to tell them you have to apply for your graduation and then they're like sitting before you and they're like, everything just happened so fast. I can't believe I'm, I'm already finishing. But that is how, you know, that's a part that I enjoy, you know, about my work, helping students, helping them navigate the path because it's pretty intimidating. And I'll tell you, especially for young black males or what I want to say the minority um, population, Hispanics and black. That, that is that they the students I, I enjoy working with because for them some of them are what you call first time their first generation college students they're the first one in their family who's coming to college and it can be a pretty intimidating process for them and seeing someone who identify with them and someone who kind of looks like them it kind of helps them to feel a little bit more comfortable inside of opening up to me. And that's something that I enjoy when I work with students. When I meet students who are Caucasian, it's kind of pretty much the same for them as well, because you have some more first-generation college students, your first time coming to college. For them, it's also a little bit intimidating. So you have to find what I call your style or your style of advising to work with these students, something that actually helps them to identify and and be open with you so they can feel comfortable that when they meet you for the first time, they'll come back again the second time and they'll be, you end up becoming that person for them where they run to for just about everything.
0: Thank you. I want to ask you now about what do you do for fun? Do you have any hobbies, <laughs> here, um, sports?
1: Basically, I can tell you, I don't have a lot of what I do, because I was working on my doctorate for quite a bit of time, I don't have that luxury of what I call a lot of what some folks might deem as as an, a hobby. I like to read. I, I do that a lot. Now I'm reading for fun instead of reading academic kind of books. <laughs> I'm reading for fun and for pleasure. I like to watch movies. I I get to do that now that I've defended the dissertation and I no longer feel guilty when I take some time to watch movies. I like to watch Netflix at times, um, different movies, different genres of movies. I enjoy running. I do that in the evenings and walking because I try to keep that balance between an active life and a healthy life itself. So those are some of the things that I enjoy doing as well. And I have uh, some time to time, I do end up writing little blogs there Really, not necessarily just open blogs, they for the National Academic Advising Association where I create little blogs and I, I get and published and so forth on mine. So I do quite a bit, a little here and a little there. Thank you for
0: sharing that. How does your typical or ideal after work look like?
1: Oh, so after work, what does that look like? <laughs> um, nothing is normal. I have different things that pop up occasionally. So I'll give you what would be considered like a, a ideal day for me typically. So after work I come home, I get to unwind a little bit. Sons here help him with his homework, school work. And then after that I get to cooking. I like to cook. I enjoy cooking. So I I I, I I'm good in the kitchen, so I end up cooking dinner most times um, in my household. It's always going to be the meat in terms of protein. It's going to be chicken. I like to cook, so I do various kind of dishes that involve chicken. I do curry chicken. I do brown stew chicken. I do what's called frigate chicken. I do all kind of different chicken itself. I do chicken and green beans. I do honey garlic chicken. So you'll hear from my, if you come to my home, that's what you'll get a lot. Occasionally, I'll put a little bit of mixture into that. I have like oxtail that i cook so i do oxtail with rice and red beans i also do goat meat uh, what we call curried mutton i do that with white rice occasionally so i'm pretty much good at that once i get i cook we sit down and we eat as a family And we watch a favorite show and then everybody pretty much goes to bed. I'm the last one up. I take the garbage out and then I do my necessary and then I go to bed. So that's what my typical day looks like. Weekend, it's entirely different (laughs) because my weekends are usually just Saturdays and Sundays. On Sundays, it's something, it's a must. We have to have what's called a dinner. The dinner, I'm always going to cook on the Sunday, which usually involves a big meal. And that usually happens in the morning. I'll get up and I'll go to the store and get it necessary and I'll come home and cook it and we sit and dine as the family. On a Saturday, it's a little different because I do go to church on a Saturday. I'm a seven-day benny, so that's a time for praise and worship. I go to church and I come home. Usually it's a little late because I, I'm involved in a couple of things at church. I, I do teach some kids into what color Adventurous Club, some of the young kids about. Um, I'm responsible for the ones who are between 8 and 12 years old. That I spend quite a bit of time when I leave my house in the morning. I leave sometimes before eight, eight thir- around about eight thirty, nine o'clock, and I'm not coming on back until around about five in the evening, and so forth. So it it, it varies weekdays in comparison to weekend. It varies.
0: Thank you. Do you have any like a special recipe that is your go-to <laughs> every day or like?
1: I have several, Ingrid. As, as a gentleman, as a young boy growing up in Jamaica, one of the things that my mom instilled in us and I'm from a family of seven, actually I can say nine because there are seven boys and two girls. One of the things that we got instilled in our upbringing was as young men was to learn to do the necessary chores around the house and learn to cook, learn to wash your clothes and learn to clean and do things for yourself. And learn to have that independent status as a young man. When we were young, our parents used to give us stories or tell us stories about men who grew up and weren't able to do things for themselves, and um, their you know, and their wife would go and they don't know how to do things, but we weren't brought up like that. We were learning to cook and we did that in rotation. By that I mean because our family was this large, you'll get an you will get the opportunity to be the one responsible for cooking. Then that doesn't come around and you know it rotates until your time again. So I've done various I've learned that craft from Jamaica about how to be, you know, to be good in the kitchen and I take that with me. Some of the recipes I can share. I do like uh, uh, as I mentioned, I'm i am a lot of folks here seem to like oxtail. It's pretty expensive. <laughs> it's a pretty expensive piece of me in terms of when you buy. I usually buy about two tails and get that chopped up into small pieces. And I take that on with me. And I have a special way of doing that, the way I cook it. I always, do, I don't like an oxtail when it looks white, like you get it from the store. It has to have that color texture for me looking brown uh, when you do meat and so forth. So there's several little things that I do to get it to that. to to look that particular kind of way. It takes a while. What I've always said to friends of mine when they come to my home, I said, my cooking is not very fast because I cook with love. It's a lot of things that goes into it for for that taste, to derive that particular taste. Nothing that I cook is fast food. It takes a while for me to cook because I start from scratch. I don't use anything artificial in that sense. Anything that I marinate my meat in is something that is usually the scallion, the onion, the thyme, The garlic and the powdered season and so forth, all of those things. I go through all that. Takes a while, it's a little bit labor-intensive, but I get that satisfaction that i know what I'm putting in it instead of me buying something from a restaurant so i am not a fan of dining out i do most of my cooking at home when i do most of my dining in my home thank yes. you
0: I'm sure that many like, listeners are getting very hungry <laughs> 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 like already the smells of the of, of the cooking and the like, the flavor well, of the meat.
1: i'll do you one better if you do, do you, uh, let me ask you do you eat oxtail
0: i have never cooked it, but yes i have eaten okay
1: so what one I'm, I'm gonna give you one as i mentioned give you one but i'm gonna prepare something for you in the future so you can have that to share with your new husband oh
0: thank you <laughs> let me ask you now questions about the future. So tell us a little bit about your future plans
1: and like, particularly the future goals that you have. Uh, right now um, Ingrid as I mentioned to you I am the lead academic advisor for the sciences at FGCU. Some people will call me a STEM advisor. Yes you can say STEM because I advise students in the various majors at FGCU that are what I call the natural sciences. Without, so STEM without engineering because we do have a college of engineering but I'm only the college Arts and Sciences. One of the things I'm looking forward after completing my doctorate this year, I'm trying to see new opportunities elsewhere and see new opportunities. I'm not sure if a lot of what I'm going to be doing or what I want to do. There's this place available or space for me at FGCU. So my aspirations right now is to, I would like to stay within advising, but at a higher level right now I'm what you call leading from the middle. So I'm not necessarily where I want to be in terms of career projection and trajectory. So I am looking for a director of advising position and if that's not something that's available for me at FGCU, I'm starting to look elsewhere. I'm starting to look outside. There are several positions that are available for advisor that you can go to the pinnacle of that particular career. There is a Dean of Advising, there's Associate Vice Provost for Academic Advising. So those are some of the things that I'm looking for. They're not necessarily available in this year, but if not, it's probably going to be something a little bit more in terms of within academic affairs. There's always position of Provost and we know of Florida Gulf Coast University's institution as a higher education institution. Major university around here, that position may not exist for me. So it forces me to start looking elsewhere. and there jobs but I have ties to the ear so it's kind of hard for me to just get up and leave so it's gonna require a lot of thinking on my path and the family and so forth so but after seven years in this particular career I'm trying to find myself and find the new path for me so I can still be in higher education still help students but not necessarily be that the major part of my duties there are other functions that I'm capable of and fit in within a particular realm and be able to lead and do things within academia just the same.
0: I'm sure that if you decide to go to another institution, you are going to be missed by many. I am. <laughs> <But it's
1: here. laughs> I, I, am I definitely will be one of the things that students who, we have quite a bit of students from Jamaica, population of students from Jamaica who come every year from Jamaica to Florida Gulf Coast University. And it, has, it doesn't matter what major they're going into, my name gets out there and they actually end up coming to me and i have students and we have five colleges at FGCU and students who are not in my college come to see me about things and i have to be working with them as well i usually encourage them to meet with their college advisors but i do understand where that come from it's finding someone who they can affiliate with and work with and feel comfortable with and i represent that part that person i've worked with students sometimes who um, are in academic jeopardy and so forth. Um, they're dismissed. Students are reinstated. Students are in academic warning. I'm the advisor who they work with to put them back onto that career path to make sure that they finish their bachelor's degree. So I know that I won the Advising Excellence Award at course, University in 2016, the only male to have won that award and the only person of color. So <laughs> Uh, there's quite a bit of things that I'm pretty much good at so I know that my leaving that institution and that particular college that will be a huge loss itself so but we have to move on. It's, you know, it's a career. You can't sit when you know that you have so much to offer elsewhere. And you're, you, you. let's put it like this. You, you're you not recognized for your hard work and your dedication. That usually happens. So you have to go somewhere you feel that you're needed, you're wanted, and people value what you do.
0: Yes, I completely agree with you. The question I'm going to ask you is similar to what you have already answered. But maybe like you could expand a little bit more. So what are your biggest personal challenges?
1: there's quite a bit of challenges i want to say a lot of it is and i'm going to come from this platform in saying this what are my biggest challenges i have a high level of self esteem i don't as a per, as a black male i don't have a low self esteem issue with what i call racism what we have in jamaica is what's called classism so where i'm from people look like me and if they don't look like me they're come different skin tones but nobody discriminates against each other and one of the things that I found out here about folks here, especially young black males, is that their self-esteem is pretty much not there when I meet a lot of young men or in my age bracket and so forth. I grew up with the perception or the knowledge that I can do anything I want to be regardless of where I'm from, my background, my cultural heritage. Once I put my mind to that, I am going to do it. So to answer your question in terms of my biggest challenges, I sometimes face a little bit of discrimination, maybe because of my um, self-esteem is a little bit too high for some people and my value system is so high that when I speak, people think that I'm acting out of place. I have that challenge sometimes a lot of times I have to prove myself that I'm worthy to be sitting within certain spaces. That comes with a challenge as well. Having this doctorate to somehow give me that clout to the credibility to when I walked into a space that I, and I'm talking about certain things that people do understand that I have the capability to do certain things and to participate in certain conversation, right? One of my other challenges that I face as well is it's not necessarily what I want to say is an imposter kind of syndrome. People suffer from that quite a bit sometimes. For me, I think what it is where at my current place of employment is not necessarily imposter syndrome for me, but it's what I call that finding what I call a sense of belonging. Sometimes you question yourself, am I in the right place? Do I belong here? do people value what i'm doing so i struggle with that piece in in maintaining what's called a sense of finding a sense of belonging sometimes i myself feel that i do not belong and that sometimes doesn't necessarily feel you know comfortable so what i've been trying to do is to keep a positive mindset and make sure that The spaces that I go into, it's carved out in the sense that I'm credible. I'm not speaking outside of my discipline and I can't participate in those particular conversations. There are conversations sometimes that evolve at my place of employment as far as social justice, race, culture. And, and now, like I said, having this doctorate will give me the clout to speak from that platform because there are not many people who look like myself at FGCU in particular spaces and in particular positions in terms of executive level. So for me, is that I'm trying to carve out a place for myself, but sometimes it, it feels like you're fighting a uphill battle and it makes you doubt yourself a little bit. So I find myself recently getting into that realm And what I'm trying to do is to stay positive by doing some reading to make sure that, you know, I'm equipping myself with the necessary language and verb use when I get around a particular place and certain conversation that I do have the ability to contribute to civil dialogue, to academic work, and even myself as someone, as a don't want like to use a term and say a person of color, but a black man you know, that I'm worthy to be in those spaces where those conversations take place.
0: Yes, everything, like touching all different points, I think are so important and also very important for other people who may be experiencing the same thing listening. not it so? Like, your message is inspirational, not only for the Southwest Florida, but throughout the United States and, and abroad, actually. Yes. Yeah,
1: and one of the things I say to people is, you know, educate yourself. And, and when you do that, I've always said uh, one thing that my mom always told me when I was growing up is to make sure that you equip yourself with the necessary education or the different levels or get those degrees. So when you go into spaces that people don't tell you, come up with an excuse and say, oh, you don't have this. Oh, when you get your bachelor's, oh, you don't have the master's, no, you get the master's. Oh, you need a doctorate. No, you get the doctorate. Let it be something else, another conversation, but let it not be because you lack that educational credential that's on paper for people to say you don't have. This. And that's why I have educated myself to make sure. So let me just back up a little bit in terms of educational credentials. I have I've earned two associate degrees from the Southwestern State College, which was Edison pride when I attended that. I went to FTRAM matriculated to FGC when I got my bachelor's. I got my master's at Upper Iowa University and I have my doctorate from Northeastern University. And one of the things that I ask people ask me, why Northeastern? It's because when you get to that level of getting near what you call your terminal degree, you have to be discriminatory about it. And by that I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with color. I wanted to make sure that I get a degree that carries some weight to it and has substance. So I look for what was called a research one university and northeastern is known as a large private research one university so i wanted to make sure that my doctorate or my terminal degree came from that field my masters that i got from upper iowa university i went into a a core program where you had to do a thesis and there were only 25 students admitted. 2012 and 25 only 11 of us end up finishing that particular program. So a lot of things that I'm very crafty about in terms of the academic realm of things I try to make sure that I'm not just getting a degree from this place because it's FGCU has a doctorate but at the time that was not the kind of doctorate I envisioned. I wanted something it was a doctorate of education in higher education administration. The doctorate at FGC at the time when they were offering was a doctorate in a, a doctorate of education, but it was more born a K through 12 side. And I, I am not in a school district. I like to study colleges and universities and the theories that are affiliated with student development and growth and Student Affairs, so I try to go into a program that actually you study all those things so you can affiliate when you hear those conversations start on campus, you can participate in those as well.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next five years?
1: i can tell you for once i'm not going to leave the field of higher education because my, my terminal degree is in higher education my master's is in higher education administration my bachelor's is in management in business so i can tell you right now i'm not necessarily trying to leave higher education i'm trying to expand to my my, my scope of horizon i'm trying to go to other somewhere else as i mentioned to you initially where I can realize my potential and recognize for my contribution, the kind of contribution that I can make in terms of student development and growth and help students to, you know, from matriculation to graduation help them because that's what we need. We need more people in higher education where students, when they come from a different cultural background and heritage, that when they walk in, they don't start doubting themselves and start worrying, am I gonna get through this place because I don't see people look like myself. We need to have more people who look like the incoming population of students. In other words, what I'm saying have a little bit more diverse faculty and staff around, to so students can't start doubting and start saying I'm going to transfer because I don't feel like I belong to this particular place. And that that's what I want. So in the next five or maybe ten years, I'm looking forward to start crafting that part to move towards where I need to be in higher education. I want to be in one of the senior executive level position. Maybe a provost, maybe a vice president for academic affairs, but I'm looking for big things later on to come. I don't want to be that middle person leading from the middle anymore. I want to create that pathway for myself to reach one of those senior executive level positions where I can still make productive contributions.
0: I'm sure you're going to be outstanding at that position. And like you are bringing with you, not only your experience, but a wealth of experience of all the students that you have helped. So you know, like from different levels. And oh like- yeah.
1: And the thing about it, Ingrid, is that I've worked several years in our education, which some people think I just started off in academic affairs. I actually started off at Fort Southwestern State College where I was given a job when I was a student and I worked in the Office of International Student. Then I worked in the Office of Testing and Assessment. And from there, then I moved to the Registrar's Office. And I was in advising there for a little bit, then moved to the Registrar's Office. So my position that I left at FSW I was actually working in the registrar's office. I was a academic scheduling technician where I was putting in various things in terms of student, uh, the courses that were are part of the curriculum. I was in charge of working with those courses, sending them down to Tallahassee to the statewide course numbering system, having them come back to be particular courses in the system, building prerequisite, co-requisite core test scores, FSW bachelor's degree that they offer which is a bachelor's in public safety management i was instrumental in that in proposing those courses to Talasi to be what I call courses that are on the books with course prefixes and abbreviations. So I started off and then I got a position at FGCU, but I didn't work in advising. Actually, started working. That office was called a Quality Enhancement Plan. I was the office manager, so I was doing budgeting. I was recruiting people to teach a required course called the University Colloquium. So as you know, all undergraduate students at FGCU have to take this particular course, once you're degree-seeking students, so we didn't have dedicated faculty teaching the colloquium or belong to that office. So I was instrumental in writing a proposal to back then or vice provost to have us get real faculty people who were only teaching the colloquium instead of what we used to use a the print the, the concept of borrowing faculty from the various colleges to teach a course and with a lot of adjuncts so i was instrumental in crafting that proposal and having the first person to be hired as full-time faculty assistant professor for that particular course and I did that from 2006 to 2013 and then I left that position and went into advising because I felt that I wasn't going anywhere with that particular position and I wanted to the opportunity to work with students and to do a little bit more because I feel like I was a little bit locked in and not realizing my potentials every day so when I got into advising which I felt that's universal <laughs> in terms of what to do with students' growth, so I figured that that would be a better platform for me. And at that time, the College of Arts and Sciences was uh, recruiting advisors. They had a vacancy for five advisors, and I I, I applied, and um, here I am. I end up working in in that college, and that has happened since two thousand thirteen. So. This November will be what seven full years that I'm working as an a full-time faculty advisor with that particular college. So I figure that you know after seven years, I'm not going to wait stick around to be what I call a master advisor because seven years I've required I know pretty much every degree program within my college <laughs> in terms of you know worst work prerequisite co-requisite test scores coming in. I, I I can write a plan for student coming in for any particular program. And whether it's four-year plan, a five-year plan, whatever, I have an abundance of experience in doing that for seven years. So I figure, you know, why not? It's it, it's about time for me to start looking elsewhere and start realizing my potential.
0: Thank you for sharing your trajectory throughout yeah. higher education, like telling a little bit more about like the different programs and how. It- Key. Like you were into molding those and getting, like, like shaping those programs. I didn't know that, that you were part of the discussions for Colloquium for getting, like, yeah.
1: I, I actually wanted things that when I went to FGC, and I graduated from FGCU to my undergraduate degree. When I went to F, when I took this position at FGCU, they did not have what I call buses to transport the students because you do know that they are field trips and they have to, what I call off campus field trips where they have to interact with four natural environments the marine, the freshwater, the urban and the agricultural perspective. And these students were going to the field trips and they would get tickets because they were speeding. And they'd come to my office because there was the office manager complaining that he got a ticket and because of colloquium. So one of the things I sat down with um, when we hired our first full time faculty in the colloquium was to make sure that we sat down and we look at options and we actually put a bid out there for buses. I was part of the, that whole reading of the bid the first time for buses to transport those students as a learning community because you know each section only accommodates twenty five students. And that's how we started off. So we didn't want students to be driving their own vehicles to these places, but to travel as a learning community. And while they were going there, learning occurs on the bus. They could be watching a film on the bus. They could be talking about the field trip in its sense, because you know, when you go into a field trip, there's certain learning objective that the students must accomplish or get when they go to that site. It's the learning, the touching, the feeling, the seeing, and all these things happen. So we wanted for the students to travel, those who were taking the class in a face-to-face setting instead of online, because the online students are on their own, for the field trips, that they travel to that site as a learning community, learn, and uh, they travel back after, you know, doing the tour at the field field site. When they get back on the bus, they can discuss things that were of interest to in them, what they learned, and so forth. So, I, yeah, I was instrumental in making that happen for students at FGC. Many people don't know about that, but since they don't know, I'm going to be the one to let them know.
0: Thank you. I remember when I took colloquium because I completed my bachelor's at FPCU, and I will drive to the different places. I'm, I was living in East Naples and I think we had the field trip to go to ECHO, which yeah. is almost getting to um, Fort Charlotte, North Fort Myers.
1: Right, um, North Fort Myers. Yes. So that that one was an agricultural one and, and, and it used to create a lot of issues for us sometimes because the students would just go there, and you'd have your uh, 25 students in each section. 25 students will drive a vehicle to the to the field trip site. So they didn't have all that parking space available for 25 students. And keep in mind too that there are classes that are offered on the same day, so you'll find one class there, and then another class come. So that would be like about 50 cars right there, and that was not sustainable at all. So we had to find something that you know that would stop all of that. So what we did, we wrote a plan to actually have the student. Uh, get on the bus at a particular place on campus, and they'll park their vehicles. So once they come by, they'll just um, exit the bus and they'll go to their separate vehicles. So having that 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 transportation, that dedicated transportation for students, made a significant difference in terms of the field trip the field trip aspect that are affiliated with the course.
0: And also, um, for my experience as a faculty who taught um, or who teaches colloquium. Um, like the best conversations that I have had with students had been on those buses. Um, exactly. That- because that's when I really got the opportunity to know um, the students and to talk one-on-one with them and to really uh, have, they will, t- they will tell me like interesting things about what is happening with them or like may- sometimes they will remember about their childhood because yeah. uh, the future will re- remind them about something in their childhood and they will tell me the story about that. So yes, you think that, that's it awesome. That.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what you call a learning community. So you travel together on the bus and you share views and, and talk about the and, and that all happened on the bus on the way to the field trip side. So that, that's good. We made a difference in terms of that.
0: Now, I want to ask you for any recommendations. So do you have any recommendations or tips uh, for our listeners? And it can be anything, it can be like restaurants, things to do, podcasts,
1: shows, events. So in terms of recommendations, what I want to say in this, in spite of this critical time that we're living in, where we're seeing all these protests happening across America and not only in America, it has extended globally. What I want to say is that I've always said this to people before, it's a golden rule, it never changes. Treat people as if that's the same way you want someone to treat you. So you treat people as if you're treating a family I don't look down on people because of their, their skin color, because of some kind of challenges or any physical attributes that they may have that you don't like or you don't gravitate toward. But always remember to treat people equally. It goes a long way. I am a testament of that. Always remember, and and I've always said this, there's not a lot that's been spoken of young black males or Hispanic males. Always remember that universities were built on the principles of diversity, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought never let anyone tell you that you do not belong once you have applied and you get into that particular institution it may not be the program that you want to get into but it's a stepping stone use it as a stepping stone and never let anyone make you feel that if you're less than the person you ought to be get your education you can tell anybody that's the main thing because people like to question where did you get your credentials from where did you get it from where did you go to what did you do Those are the questions. You get your bachelor's and people are asking where, Because they want to know where you went to school. So those are important, then get your, when I say get your education, get your degree and move on to, you know, make make those movements in society that people don't just look at us as we get into a particular institution for athletic prowess or because we can play ball. We want to change that conversation to make sure that when you come into that institution, it is because of your academics that get you in, not because of a particular skills. And I'm not beating on people who are athletes or anything. If you get in because of your athletic prowess, show them that it's more than that that you can you you can do. Be you can go beyond that. Because remember, you're always what's called a student athlete, but you're a student before you're an athlete hence the term student athlete. So make sure that you're crafting those spaces, make sure you're making those connections. What I want to say to students, and, uh, the students out there, sometimes it's very tough. You're going to a particular institution, you don't know people, find people and start creating, making those friendship and those connections. Study together. Do things together and you'll find your sense of belonging in no time because no more you'll be questioning yourself and asking, you know, am I worthy to be here? Because now you have people that you can go to, people you can talk to, you build those connections, make those work for you so you can find your sense of belonging. And you can complete your degree because as long as you have people who are working towards a common goal the same time, same thing as you, you're going to find that less that you're going to leave that institution. You may leave because of other reasons, but once you find those connections and those friends who are going to grow with you and go through the same things that you're going through, that works. So build those connections, build those network. Young man, I say, young, to the young man out there, I'll say this, it it's tough time for us, but Hold on. Don't get despair at all. Make sure that you are at least trying to get something academic wise. And when I say get something, it could be that you could start off an FSW, go and get an associate degree in something. Right. Remember that a lot of work right now is not necessarily academic, but hands on fsw has programs over there in the associate science that are a little hands-on and if those don't work for you there's a vocational are vocational tech schools here that are offering all kind of program hvac mechanic electrical get something do something to earn an honest living because we're always going to be judged by the color of her skin but as long as you persist and you keep trying and you keep doing things and you're accomplishing those goals for yourself That is enough. Keep doing that and create that pathway for yourself. It's challenging, but I tell you, a lot of space we enter sometimes we're not wanted, but you can build that pathway to make yourself feel accepted into those spaces. So those are some of the tips that I want to offer. If you're listening to this podcast today and you're a student and you don't know what kind of degree programs you want to get into, what you want to do, because I know it's tough. When you come into a university, they expect you to start declaring your major. And it's tough because sometimes you don't know what you want to do. I've met people who have already completed their bachelor's and still don't know what they want to do. If I can help you in any way, please reach out to me. I'm at FGCU. And it might be a little, <laughs> a little tacky in me saying this. A lot of times I say to the student, I have a very unusual first and last name. If you can't remember that, just ask for a guy from Jamaica. That's how most people come to me at FGCU and make reference. And I don't mind because I know someone... Who have done something for must have sent you to me to make that kind of recommendation um, for you to come and see me. So please don't hesitate, come and see me. I've spoken to students from various institutions around here. If you're in doubt about anything, you can write me. My email address is L K-N-I-B-D-S at FGCU.edu. My name is Loxley Nips and you can go to FTC and just type that in the search and you'll see my name pop up and you can shoot me an email and I'll be happy to work with you and to help you even when you come to FTC if you're even not in my college. Just to know that we make that connection, I can make the references to other people who I know so you can build those connections.
0: Very powerful message for our listeners. And I hope that this podcast gets to everyone who like will touch and empower. So like, if you're listening like the podcast and you feel that you have a friend who really needs to hear this message, please share with them and pass the message along. Let me ask you closing questions. So if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't?
1: That's an interesting question. <laughs> All right. Perhaps, and I'll and I use this question that I get asked, and I use one that I get asked often. My students in my class ask me, when did you know that you wanted to do a master's? Or when do you know you want to do a, a terminal degree or graduate degree? Where I grew up in Jamaica, I didn't have, I had opportunities, but they weren't so extensive as they are in the United States. So I had people when I write, and I write very well, people are always saying to me, are you gonna do this, are you gonna do this? And, and and so forth, they'll ask me all these various questions. And um, I remember when I started FSW back then, and I wrote my first piece of paper in English Composition One. my teacher who was from Canada was the first one, my professor, she said to me, are you gonna write for your master's? And I said, I don't know, I just wanna get this done. And it makes me, uh, uh, Reflect on what when she asked me back then, if she, you know, back then she realized my potential. She realized that, you know, I had good writing for someone, I don't like to say for a black man. I just want to say for someone who was just come to the United States and writing so well and so forth, because we're from, we write, you know, we speak something differently, colloquial expression. But when you put pen to paper, you tend to write Queen's English. And I remember when I did that um, after leaving FSW and I went to FGCU and I had my first class which was called professional writing and then I had my professor said the same thing to me again and I go well if these people are asking me simply means then that I need to go through these different things and so forth and I completed my bachelor's and it took me a while for me to find a program that I would do in, in terms of my master's degree. A lot of my background work is in business so I started off in the MBA program at FGCU and I after doing so many accounting, finance, marketing, and management, it gets tired. So I wanted to find something that will help me to grow within higher education. And that's why I did my degree, my master's in higher education administration. And when it hit me as far as my pursuing a doctorate, was after I finished my master's and I think what it is, uh, the the persons who were mentored to me were white females and they kept encouraging me. Uh, I didn't have, I had a, maybe one mentor who was a black lady and she kept inspiring me. But most of the folks me realized that if there was ever a time in my life that I doubted myself, I need to put that aside and go after what I wanted to do. So I went exactly for my doctorate. So a lot of people are out there who are struggling and think the doctorate is for people who are smart and so forth. You have done it too, Ingrid. But the thing about it is that it's a lot of writing and you're writing for a particular audience to understand five chapters. And it's not easy because you're writing. Now you're writing for a mass audience. You're not writing for one person. So it simply means that when people pick up, when someone picks up your dissertation, they start reading it. It's just not making sense for them. And that is hard because you're not. You're writing on a bigger platform now. Don't ever question yourself. A lot of what I do in terms of my writing, I don't ever question myself. I just write. And people, when I write, they understand what I'm saying. I get to the point now we've gone through what I call dissertation crucifix. I'm no longer ashamed someone said, if I get rejected on anything that I put forward in terms of a proposal or writing for a journal, I'm not gonna feel bad about it because guess what? I have the comfort that I finished my dissertation and I wrote in an audience for so people to understand that platform. So I say that to say this, don't question yourself about anything. Just go after what your mind tells you, go a lot and pray. I encourage you to pray. A lot of these decisions that we make, sometimes they are not necessarily on our own, but I can tell you one thing I do, I pray a lot. And I'm a Christian-minded young man and I pray about a lot of things sometimes and I get my answers in the terms of what I'm asked for. So don't forget, pray. If you are struggling between decisions, get on your knees and pray. You'll find your answer.
0: You're making me emotional because of everything (laughs) that is uh, uh, happening. Let me ask you, where can our, our listeners connect with you online?
1: I have a few social media um, out there where people can connect with me. I'm on Facebook. I'm all, I also have a Twitter. I have my Facebook from I was a student at FGC from 2004. I have my Twitter as well. My Twitter handle is dreadlocks1977. Um, my Facebook is my name, Locks and Nibs. And, um, I also have an Instagram as well, which is the same thing. So you can find me online basically anywhere. And if you send me an email, if you type, as I mentioned, if you just go to Google and type my name, you'll see several things out there. You'll see several things because I've made extensive, uh, I've been doing presentations at conferences for quite a bit of time. For National Academic Advising Association. I presented at the Black Doctoral Network. I presented at NASAP, National Association of Student Affairs Professional. I presented at FLACADA for the Academic Advising Association. And I presented in our region. So I've done as far as our nationalist, or, and I'm sorry, National Associate, as far as our association is concerned, National Academic Advising, which is a global community for academic advisor, have presented at our regional conference I've done annual and I've done international. So in 2018, I had my first trip abroad where we I presented at Dublin, Ireland at the conference. In 2019, I presented in Hasselt at the University of Hasselt, Belgium. 2020, which is this period right now, we're supposed to present in Athens, Greece, but that got cancelled because of COVID 19. So you see a lot of things sometimes where you see my name pop up. I presented for the uh, Southern Sociological Society, the SSS. Um, I've done quite a bit of extensive presentation, so you'll see my name out there. Once you type that in Google, you'll find my connection, and it's always going to be my FGCU email, and you can email me and make that connection with me.
0: Okay. Um, I have a special request. Uh, yes. And like, that was the part that really moved me um, when you said that you pray um, every day. So I was going to ask you for a last thought or positive message, but instead I want to ask you if you will pray with me. Um, of course, and like and like, if you will lead the praying and I will pray with of you. Of
1: course, I I have no sh- I have no problem doing that. I do that at my church. So let us pray, Heavenly Father. We want to thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for strength. We thank you for food on our tables, clothes on our backs, shoes on our feet. We want to thank you for this day, Father. We want to thank you for Ingrid, who is the host of this podcast. I want to ask you to continue to bless her so she can be a blessing to the Southwest Florida area. This is a worthwhile project. So give her the knowledge, the wisdom, understanding, and the zest to find interesting people that will read well for her podcast. We pray that you'll continue to clear the path for her. So all the obstacles that are there will disappear and help her to have the peace of mind and believe in herself about her initiative that she's striving to achieve. Father, we pray that you'll grant us the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding. And we ask you for give, to give us clear mercies and to make good decisions about our life. best our families, our friends, and our teachers. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you, Loxley. Uh-huh. You're welcome, Ingrid. Uh, thank you, everyone um, who has listened uh, to this uh, podcast. Um, And again, thank you, like I want to congratulate you one more time.
1: Thank Um, you, Ingrid, (laughs) I appreciate it, thank you so much, thank you. You know that's hard work, it's not easy, but uh, we finally made it through.
0: This episode was produced and edited by Ingrid F. Arguelles with the assistance of our intern, Jade Dupuy. for listening to this episode please subscribe review and share this podcast with all your friends if you would like to be invited to be interviewed in this podcast please contact me if you were a former student of mine or classmate please reach out i would love to catch up and know how you're doing remember el sol brilla para todos which means the sun shines for everyone spread the sunshine